from being a crazy little kid jumping on trampolines to being one of Australia's greatest freestyle skiers and now motivational speaker, Jackie Cooper is no stranger to high performance. Jackie Cooper shares her time with us on our next chapter of the Next Gen Movement to deep dive into what it takes to do the things that she's done in respect to her sport and how she's been able to transfer that into everyday life. Jackie shares with us her wisdom, her knowledge, and we really hope that you get as much out of this as we have. Enjoy. Take care, y'all. Next Gen Movement, next chapter. Here it is. Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons and experiences of thought leaders within the community. If you're listening, it's Toe from the Next Gen Movement and I have my co-host my co RJ with me talking about our next guest. She's quite remarkable with speeding down an alpine ski slope at blistering speeds of up to 150 kilometres an hour to take off and fly and manoeuvre through the air, and more importantly, stick the landing. Jackie Cooper is someone we're grateful to have as our next guest. She is a multi-world title holder in the sport of aerial skiing, with representing Australia in the Olympics. She also has a passion in advocating clean sport with drug and alcohol prevention, as well as being a wonderful role model in, in educating the youth of today to make healthier choices and life habits. We're absolutely stoked to have Jackie on the Next Gen Movement as the next chapter Welcome, Jackie. Hi, guys. How's, How's it going? <laughs> really good. Um, yeah, so just toast quickly. I've never been off a jump at 150k an hour. I reckon that's evil can evil. That's, <laughs> aerial skiing is about 70 kilometers per hour. So oh, okay. Still, I messed that up because I was that, doing yeah, some research into it and I saw that you can, ca you can carry up to speeds of 95 miles per hour. So. Oh, that would be in downhill. That, but in aerial skiing, you think about it though, you're coming into a, a jump that's the same height as the warped wall on the Ninja Warrior and you're coming off at 70 kilometres per hour, which is faster than we're allowed to drive our car yeah. these days. So it's still bloody fast and it's super scary. And yes, you still need to stick the landing. Yeah, well, um, thank you for um, educating me on that. I wasn't too sure. <laughs> I'm, I, um, <laughs> so yeah, thank, thank you for um, correcting me on that. Like, I guess that leads me into... Um, my first question. So, um, also as RJ and I, fellow athletes, hashtag not skiers, um, we are more long distance runners um, in the world of marathons and ultra marathons. Um, it's fascinating to know about your story because definitely did some research on how um, years prior, like you broke your back, um, you've um, had knee uh, reconstructions, shoulder, hip reconstructions. And it's fascinating to see how you've bounced back. So definitely um, very admirable. But just curious to know with like you're going through that injury, how, um, I guess, how were you able to bounce through that? Because I'm going through injury right now. And I guess all the fear and the uncertainty that goes through it, it's quite applicable in today's world and going through a pandemic and um, the massive transformative year that 2020 has become. Um, curious to know how you like managed to get through that and how you battled the fear of that. Yeah, I reckon 2020 is like a major reconstruction because no one was ready <laughs> for it. And now we're going to have to reconstruct, you know, ourselves so that we can come out stronger and better and to be, a, 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 you know, an even stronger 
community. So a massive reconstruction for everyone this year. But mine, yeah, I've had shoulder, hip, elbow, knee, I've broken my back, pelvis, hip, dislocated my hip, my broken my face. It's been it's been pretty major. But what I would say is that um I never ever once um thought to myself in a 20-year career that was too much for me or I can't handle this anymore or I don't want to go through that injury again. And in aerial skiing it isn't a possibility that you'll get injured when I've like we opened up with uh, knowing that an aerial skier goes off a jump at 70 kilometers per hour and you do go up into the air for three seconds at the heart of a four-story building and you come down onto a hard landing hill it's an absolute reality that you will get injured so knowing that that's there you know what you're basically getting involved with and so for me I loved what I did I loved it and you know you've got to love the danger element and you've also got to love when things don't go right and I think for a lot of people that's when the wheels fall off is that when something goes wrong they can't handle it they weren't ready for it they can't be adaptive or um, think beyond what's happening now but for me you know I was always ready for it I'm thinking this is a dangerous sport I will get injured so I was prepared to always move forward and move on and in, in a sport like that like there's brief moments where you hold up the ski and you've got a victory and you win and people play your Australian anthem it's all beautiful but that only lasts a few minutes so I think to be competitive be um and I think dominate a sport for 20 years you can't just love those small moments of victory you have to love all of the other stuff and all of the other stuff especially in aerial skiing it is it's hardship it's adversity it's coming back from injury um but I think the way I always move forward was I attached goals to recovery, to injury, to a rehabilitation plan. And I'm very goal orientated. So <clears throat> that sort of ticks my boxes and inspires me as a person. So I was able to feel good about what I was doing at the time and didn't look back and think how bad that injury was. I was just always focused forward. It's a, it's a fantastic answer, Jackie. And it, I'll, I'll probably take it a few steps back because it, it's evident that you have a different relationship to fear and I'm wondering if that's nurture or nature and I just want to ask you I mean obviously every sport has its extreme version so I would imagine as a kid you were skiing and at some point you got interested in the more I, I suppose quote-unquote extreme side of the sport now how did your parents I think this is really important how did your parents view what you were doing in the face of the potential danger and how did they support you or maybe not support you through that process? Well, um, I actually entered the sport um, as a non-skier. So I was a kid fascinated with acrobatics and this is the nurture right. nature. I grew up, grew up outside of winter sport, but what I grew up on was a trampoline and I was always trying to go higher. I was always wow. trying to teach myself tricks. My my little mind and my soul and my body, I craved being upside down, you know, so much so that I deliberately made friends with kids that had trampolines. So I was just purely interested in just jumping around and I was nuts. Like I'm a triplet. My parents had two other kids born on the same day as me. Wow. And this is a great way to be able to study the, obviously the environment that we grow up in same parenting born on the same day Two were happy having their feet on the ground. And me, I was just, I was the type of kid that actually sought out fear and, and um, risky things. So jumping 
you know, up and down on trampoline for 16 years. I met a gentleman at a trampoline one day who happened to be involved in the sport aerial skiing that told me I could somersault on snow. And I thought, this is amazing. What? I've been somersaulting on a trampoline and a bed. I don't know that you could do that on snow. And he said, yeah, I reckon you'd be great. And so they set a plan for me to be in the sport and recruited me. And he said, in 10 years, you'll be a world champion. So 10 years later, I was a world champion. And I think at the time when you get recruited into a sport like that, you know, my dad, he was actually just happy to sort of get me out of the house. I don't think he was thinking long-term about me being a world champion. He just thought, oh my God, someone please take the energy out of the house and put it elsewhere. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really think too much about it, but it's a bit sad, you know, later on, you know, I found out when I retired that my mum was always too nervous to answer the phone. She always thought that it could be a potential life altering injury. So yeah. either a paraplegia or anything potentially worse. Um, so I told her that I would only ever ring her when I won a world cup or if I was heavily injured. So she knew the phone was called was either going to be one or the other, which is a bit scary, really. Did you win or are you in hospital? So, um, yeah, they, they just got used to the idea that I did that. But, you know, obviously you don't just go out and do a triple somersault on day one. It took many years for me to reach those speeds and those heights. So by the time I was actually doing the highest degree of degree in the world, they had 10 years to wrap their head around the, the danger that follows that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I think that an easy trend to kind of, that translates across everything is fear <laughs> with the sport. Um, not only being at the top of this, like before takeoff and preparing the body and the mind to do triple somersaults and all that. But you mentioned like having this incredible career and then it kind of finishes off and it fizzles out into going into the next stage of life. And um, obviously with the the job that you have now, um, I remember hearing that story where um, I think it was the CEO or someone that was a an executive of the company that you're in at Latrobe said, we just love what you're about, but not every athlete can go through that. And I'm sure that would create a lot of fear. Um, I'm curious to know like how you were able to, I guess, navigate through that because being an athlete probably was the majority of what you had known. And then um, oh, transitioning it, into that would have been incredibly Yeah, hard. Reti- Retirement and taking off the ski suit for the last time and the helmet and moving away from jumping jack into... Yeah you know, what athletes call, you know, normal life. It seems silly to say that, but everyone uses that. Yeah. Um, that is scary, but because of, yeah, Greg O'Neill at Latrobe Financial, the CEO and owner, he, um, he made that transition to me, for me um, easier. Now, obviously, there were still times where I was nervous about um, leaving that sport behind and what would that be like for me. But I think he knew that. I think he knew he'd sponsored me as an athlete. I think he knew that I was about to face some um, serious challenges as far as like my mental health and well-being and financial and whatever that might be. And so for him to throw out a life ring like that is um, unbelievable because it is, and I, companies are like this. They, they jump on board when someone's number one in the world, they jump on board and they see there's a lot of value in the talent, in the results, in that, in that whole athletic story. And when that's over, companies feel like that relationship's over too. And that's where Latrobe's different, that they thought, no, this is the beginning. This is where you actually are in Australia now. We can actually get you 
out in the community because that they're ones that they support so many community initiatives. They're part of the reason why I'm so passionate about what I do. You know, I was on a full-time salary with them and they're letting me go off to primary schools, speaking at award nights, going into um, helping at St Kilda Mums and washing car seat covers and putting, you know, cots together or feeding the homeless in at the Burke Street um, Salvation Army restaurant. I mean, the, Latrobe, they're really kind people, a company with a huge heart, and they've been able to really um, help me through that transition. So I just wish that other athletes had that too, where they had that, that job opportunity um, beyond sport or they knew that that was ready for them, which would, be, which would be a great thing. So I've been able to do so much and explore so much of myself because of the relationship, and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing... Uh journey Jackie and um you know I there was something that really resonated with me that you were talking about earlier about how um you had a lot of energy and there was a lot going on for you and what you were able to do through sport was apply a lot of that energy and into in towards a, a positive output now um, given your interest in community, I, I think it's important to share that I'm a I'm a recovering addict, um, and you know I'm I'm heavily in the business community. Is not only a business person, but I found um, my uh, direction through sport to really uh, sustain and, and ground and, and stabilize myself. And I just wanted to ask you how how much of a part do you think sport has played in kind of giving you that outlet and positive direction and are you a big advocate of, of that in the communities that you're you're kind of working with with young people I yeah look I love young people I think that's where great change can happen I think you know I, I'm a corporate event speaker like yourself and you're going to speak to a lot of audience and they're generally you know uh, 40 50 60 year old people that have lived quite a lot of their life they've made up a lot of their minds about who they are who they want to be and so the change could be quite small by the messages that you or myself give on stage to the audience and you would hope that you would make change but the change might be fleeting might be small might be insignificant you'd hope it would be more but you, you don't know but where the change can really be made is to youth i mean they're they're, they're moldable they're ready to develop they're ready for big ideas they're inspired by um, leaders. I mean, everyone looks up to, you know, um, sports people. They look up to maybe business leaders, uh, whoever it might be, that young people really look up to, up to others for guidance and inspiration. So I think as a sports person, for myself, when I go in and speak to young kids, it really isn't about, hey, you should get into sport. I like sport because it gave me a foundation. There was rules there. There was expectations. There was working to a plan, goals, working with a team, being coached, which basically means you need to listen to feedback. You need to respond. You need to act accordingly. So a lot of things that you get from being an athlete are things that you can't learn. But what I do say to kids is be passionate about something. You know, be passionate and that will be your guiding light where, you know, you're not always going to get someone into sport, but if you're really passionate about something, you won't get lost. You won't. And I think that if you're a little bit lost in life, it's maybe you've lost your direction because you don't know where you really want to go at that moment. But if you've got something that you're passionate about and it's something that you've got a lot of goals and you've got some framework around it and you've got some support there, 
I think it'll keep everyone moving in the right direction. So I think that's the most important thing is just making sure that kids have a passion and some kids don't know what it is, but it's there. You just need to help them unlock that. And they'll be like, aha, you know, I can do this or that's something that I want to do, but I didn't think I could do it. So it's about helping them realize that. Yeah. I'll I'll just piggyback on that. I'm, I'm a big believer and I've had a conversation, multiple conversations. I've got two little ones, very, very little, but I, I am a big believer that the, children finding their passion young and their purpose young is is a gift in the sense that with that passion and purpose they then can uh they can then gain the discipline the focus the the mindset that's required to support that passion and i think that's why behaviorally finding a passion and purpose whether it be science, whether it be sport, whether it be whatever is important because then to sustain that passion, the attributes that create a successful human being are evolved and develop, right? So if a person is passionate about maths, for instance, they have to learn to study, they have to be disciplined with that study. And so you then build the, the attributes and behaviors and habits that are critical to kind of building a successful human being, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I already see it in my um, seven-year-old. Ever since she could talk, she's talking about um, about wanting to be a doctor, and, and and she likes that idea about being a doctor, being a doctor. And as she's gotten older, her idea around being a doctor and helping has changed. When I say older, she's only seven, and she's already told me that she wants to be a doctor in communities where healthcare mm-hmm. services aren't there. And she says, I want to be there to be a person for someone who doesn't have somebody else to help them. So I really do think she'll do that. I think she'll go and live somewhere and she'll be um, a doctor that lives in a, in, in a, a, a small community somewhere on the other side of the world where she knows that she's needed to keep people healthy and safe. And I love that. She's already got books around the human body. And there you go. Yeah. She's, she's into it. Yeah. She's really into it. How, um, how that came about that's that's quite phenomenal how someone at that age is already thinking about this and is obviously observing and um taking in as much of what's going on in the world and trying to turn that into not only a positive but also change so that that's quite um because it's quite specific to what's going on right now in the world um obviously there's a lot yeah she's a very empathetic little girl she's actually been poked and prodded since she was a little thing um, she yeah, no. had undiagnosed celiac disease from when she was six months old and vomited five days a week. When right. she was two, she weighed the same as a 10 month old baby. She's had stomach operations. The, the, the little thing, she's had it pretty rough, not rough compared to obviously some families out there that deal with, you know, yeah. cancers and serious illness. But for her, she's, she's, she's been in and out of hospital and, um, she wants to she wants to be a doctor because she knows that the doctors help her they help her sister and her brother and mm. then it's just um, yeah she watches the television she sees what's on the on the on the TV right now she's really moved and upset by all of it and um, she knows that there's a lot of people that don't have support and she wants to be them but medically yeah do, do you see that um... It's something that's just natural for her now because she has been able to endure something that can be quite traumatic that she has a lot of compassion for that. 
Yeah. Yes, absolutely. She's, um, she's, she's a little bit different. Our big girl, we call her Moo. Um, you know, Thomas and Grace, they're five-year-old twins and you know, someone could be injured or hurt and, um, they think, Oh, that's bad, but they're not moved or affected by it. Um, our seven-year-old is, um, she, she, she gets very upset by just hearing stories about what's going on and she'll talk about it a week or two later, wondering if they're okay yeah. just by something she's seeing on the news. So she, she's a, she's a big thinker. I mean, we, we found a lizard once and we got told that we had to feed the lizard live, um, live, uh, food, I guess, like bugs. And they said, you can either catch the bugs yourself and kill the bugs and give them to the lizard. And um, she was hyperventilating because of the thought of actually killing like a fly to give it to a lizard. So we, we took the wow. lizard back and yeah. So <laughs> she's, uh, she's, 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 she's like one big warm hug, a uh, big girl. She's very cute. I, it's so probably, you know, it's an interesting thing too. I'm, I'm a big believer in ordering of, of birth and there's probably something to be said that she's the older sister of two twins as well. Right. In terms of, so she's seven and the twins are five. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So she'd probably, is she, is she kind of the, the boss, the little boss, <laughs> the, the, the quasi mom, the second mom. Oh yeah. 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 She actually uses words. I use, she talks yeah. in a tone. I talk in. Yeah, and yeah. even the twins say they had to write a thing. What makes them angry at school? Um, my sister is bossy. <laughs> that makes me angry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That, yeah. that That's funny. That's funny. Um, I, I wanted to ask you a question. So there's a author that I uh, follow quite a lot of his books. He's an author called Stephen Kotler. And uh, he was a, um, an author, a journalist, for a, a journalist in the extreme kind of sports space for a long time. And he started to notice this correlation among high-performing athletes in different you know, rock climbing uh, to kind of whitewater rafting throughout numerous sports. And he got into that topic of flow, which uh, Mihai checks in my Mihai had created, and uh, back in the day, and this whole concept of um, kind of uh, all your senses hone in uh, during you know a particular event, and obviously being around extreme sport, he he noticed this was common, you know, among base jumpers and stuff. And he and I was talking to Tok about this. He kind of abhors that whole comment uh, or that whole. Uh, uh, thing around adrenaline junkies in his his perspective uh, athletes especially athletes of your kind and ilk are actually flow junkies it's this whole concept of when you're in your craft everything narrows w what's your perspective on that because I, uh, I really want i really I, like to understand yeah, when that you said personally. when you're in your craft everything narrows it's 100 percent. yes yeah, I um, you know, when you see when you see an aerial skier at the top of the in run, then they're not trying to get off on a high, of having an adrenaline mm. rush. I mean, it's there's they're professional athletes with a very very tuned skill, like the highest mm. acrobatic, highest mm. ac they're they're acrobats, you know. So they've worked ten years, and when you get to the top, you're actually so calm. I think if you're running around trying to get an adrenaline rush, you die quite, probably. Yeah, you, you could die, right? Yeah, you really would. You know, you've got to. You see, athletes' breathing techniques and all those senses. You can you hear differently. I feel wind on my ears. I know mm. that there's a tailwind coming. 
there's things that sound clearer. I, I, I look for cues in my environment before I go off the jump. You know, if you're trying to just get an adrenaline rush, you're foaming at the mouth, acting like a crazy person. <laughs> and you see, you see athletes standing at the top and they are calm and they're about to go off a jump at 70 kilometers per hour. So yes, it does narrow. And I love when you said that they've honed their craft because that's, that's exactly right. There's, there's no Hail Marys or pulling a rabbit out of a hat here trying to do get some adrenaline. Yeah. Do something else. Like you would, you would go and go to Luna Park or do, you know, go on a roller coaster where you belted in. You wouldn't do aerial skiing. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, that, that actually really dovetails into, I think, a, a really important point you made earlier and I think it needs to be driven home because everyone we've talked to that comes from the high performance space in one, sh- one way or another says the same thing, that you have to fall in love with the, the, the process, the suffering, the, the, all that stuff. It, that two all minutes when, yeah, when you're standing on a podium, that's the result of, it's like an ultra marathon, Tope, as you know, that the run is actually the easiest part. It's the training. Yeah. It's like the eight, nine months of training that you lead up to the sacrifice and, you know, getting your ass kicked by your partner because you're never home, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You kind of have to fall in love with that. Right, Jackie? Well, that's right. And you know what you do? You have to. And at the end of the day too, like this, this, there's going to be a winner and it might not be you too. So you've got to know that, mm. that whilst you do those eight or nine months and you are getting your ass kicked by your partner, or there's no actually, there's no guarantee that that person standing on the top at the end of the day is going to be you because of environment, because of anything that plays into the outcome of, you know, the final outcome with the results. So there's some people that have been on their national team competing for their country doing exactly what I did the sacrifice, the this, that, and the other, and they've never even stood on the podium. Mm. And I would ask myself, oh my gosh, you've been competing for 10 years and you've never won a World Cup medal. But then that is a stupid question because why? Because they love it. They love the process. Mm. Yes, they've got a dream of standing on that podium and that two minutes they would hold on for the rest of their life, but they might never get on the podium, right? But they love all that process mm. in getting themselves to the event where there is a chance that that just might be them that day and that's what drives them it's the just might be them that day mm. i'm hearing a lot of um with obviously the process and that and where, where you've gotten to yourself it t- obviously takes a lot of habit and getting into the right a routine and a rhythm um well i guess what, what is something quite practical to give to anyone that's listening that isn't maybe an athlete um, and how they can, if they are feeling lost, cause you're talking about how you do advocate, um, this to kids and say, look, you got um, it's about doing something that you love, but something that might be listening that is quite feeling lost and for yourself, that's obviously big on habits. What is like, um, something powerful that you can give them today? That's actually quite practical. What I would say, first of all, about habits is that whether you realize it or not, we, we, we practice habits every day and a lot of them are bad habits. So I would yeah. say is that do a, do a bit of an audit on what you're actually doing. So, um, and that might be your thinking habits. Am I thinking positively? What do I say about myself to myself? I mean, we have these conversations with ourselves. We speak 
more with ourselves even more so these days in isolation than ever before so it would start with making sure that your mind is right so what are my my habits around how i feel about myself what i say about myself what i think about myself and so the habits are there so change that habit first so i think you get your mind right is the most important thing because a lot of young kids whether it's come from themselves whether it's come from social media whether it's come from their friends or even unfortunately from carers and parents what they're listening to is negative. So I think it's really important to do an audit just to work out, you know, what you think about yourself, maybe deleting a lot of the stuff out of your mind that people have said and start turning your mind around. So if you can start turning that around and start having a brain that wakes up every day with so much more Obviously, it's a positive habit in what you're saying about yourself and mm. forgetting about everything else. I think you're already most of the way there. And that's something that I did really well in my sport is that, you know, there's the adversity side of things. You've got teammates, you've got competitors, you've got all of this stuff. And if you actually took it all in and you listen to all of the different voices, you know, you start to wonder who you are, what you are, what you're doing this for. And you've just got to start... Um, recognizing um when it's negative and when not to use it and hanging on to the positive and actually changing the conversation within yourself so that would be my biggest thing is change your mind it'll change your attitude mm. I, I think that's such a, a big point and another reason why i love i love athletics and, and sport in the in the context of transferring that over to business because you know there's a lot of people looking for self-esteem through their thoughts and what is proven time and time again by athletes who are really banging at their craft, irrespective of what you feel like, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Self-esteem and, and, and self-worth comes through those little acts of defiance every day that you are getting shit done. And I yep. think that it, that's actually what drives your confidence because you know you're not it's not a smoke screen you've done you, you what you you're you're not you know and tof you hear me talk about this hacks you know we're all into hacks nowadays the you know this movement of shortcuts well it's in the grind and the hard work and those little actions and in and in, in, in defiance to that voice on the shoulder that's telling you why you shouldn't get out of bed early or all that stuff right that is going to build you up. And, and that's, I guess, what you're saying is that it's, you know, um, you, you, you kind of, you get out there and, and you do it and, and the behavior starts to compound, the little habits start to compound and, and you shift and you change and you grow. That's right. But it, yeah, it has to start with your, your mind though. So there's no use in going out there and going, I'm passionate about this. I really want to do it. But at the end of the day, if you're sitting there and your conversations about yourself or your situation is all negative, it's actually just not going to happen. So I think that the most important thing is you have to start with who you are. Yeah. And that starts with your mind. Yeah. So, um, Jackie, at this stage, what we, what we typically do is we really hone in for uh, the, the nugget of uh, wisdom and, and, and piece of gold. And, and we do it by this question that we ask all our guests. So I'm going to ask you th this question, Jackie, if you could give any game changing advice to the next gen, uh, the next generation of individuals, whether it be old or young, 
what would that advice be? Hmm. Uh, okay. Yep. I've got it. Should I yeah, you ask the question now? Oh, um, I think it's really important to have a mentor or um, a leader. Hmm. If you've got a mentor in your life, um, it's, it's a really, really powerful relationship. So for a young person to be able to be mentored by somebody that's older, that's already walked the path, that's already been through quite a lot, and they're giving their advice to a younger person, I think that that's a really valuable relationship. It's, it's also really rewarding for the mentor to see the mentee succeed and, and do really well. So if you're listening, I think that if you do have skill and you, you are a type of person that can communicate what you've done, where you've been, um, and, you know, just be able to help a younger person, I'd say always get involved in, in mentor relationships. And if you're someone wanting to go to that next level that you want for yourself or to try a sport or to do something within the community or whether it's politics whatever it might be is find a leader that you really um have uh, i think a lot of respect for and reach out to them tap them on the shoulder i'm sure that they'd be really really um taken back and they would want to help you out so i think that the mentor and mentee relationship is something that we need more within the community love it jackie um before we just wrap things up just want to obviously say thank you on behalf of rj and i and the, and the next generation um next gen movement how um how much you've obviously dedicated yourself to to youth how much you've dedicated yourself to the sport and just an absolute wonderful role model and like i said in the intro to as an, and an ambassador to not only the sport, but just to the community with the beautiful things that you're doing. So thank you for sharing your insight um, with um, this chapter. Just want to ask where can people follow you and is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, just want to obviously let the, give the floor to you for the next 30 seconds or so. Oh, thanks. Um, well, I'm a keynote speaker. So if um, there's companies listening um, that feel like they would like to get a, a dose of this energy, you could contact Saxton Speakers. I'm an exclusive with them. Or you could find me on my website, which is www.jackiecooper.com, J-A-C-Q-I-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. Um, yes, I'd love to come and inspire your group to um, obviously live every day with a champion attitude. I've also got Jack, um, Jackie Cooper Ski is my uh, handle for Instagram and Twitter. I'm not really great at that stuff though, but anyway, there's stuff of the kids. And also just wanted to thank my relationship with Latrobe Financial for um, their ongoing support to me as as a person, as a, as a mum and as an individual that can give more than just somersaulting as a person that's valuable within the company. So thank you. Love it. Thank you, Jackie. Thank okay, you thanks, so guys. much. Thank you so much for your time. Please join us on this dynamic chapter of the Next Gen Movement as we dive into conversation with big wave surfer Mark Matthews around his craft, what it took for him to reach the highest of heights, and ultimately how he pivoted into a new space of the corporate and motivational speaking scene after he had a career-ending injury. 
Mark is super humble, originally hailing from the beaches of Marubra. He conquered his sport not only in national, but on an international level. This conversation is super engaging, and Mark has that laid-back style, but he's unbelievably articulate in terms of being able to decipher the mechanisms that helped him hone and deliver the best performances in his craft and then leverage those capabilities into different areas in his life. This is a chat that you do not want to miss. Take care. Speak to you all soon. Much love.